How many of you can say with me, I know why the young people do that one? Isn't that good? Thank them one more time. They worked real hard on that. Amen. Stand with me to read the Word of God today. And we're going to look. We've covered so far in three weeks, the fourth week leading up to Easter next Sunday, 8 o'clock, 945, 11.30. Some of you that have been planning on 9.45, would you not do it? Because the 945 is going to be the fullest, and 1130 is calling to you. So pray about that. Every poll I take, 945, be there, 8 o'clock, yeah, 1130. 1130? I know they're going to be there. How many are you coming at 1130? Good. How many of you would even consider coming at 1130? All right, good. Pray about it. God's already moved in this service. Amen. We've talked about the Passover, the plot, the prayer, and today I want to talk to you about the palms. Leading up to Jesus, crucifixion, and resurrection. Good Friday, this Friday. And I'm calling this friends, foes, and fickle fans, because that's what we're going to see. You've got friends in life, you've got foes, and you've got fickle people who come, they go, they're there, they're not, they're in, they're out. And so let's pray together and let's read first this passage, Jesus going into Jerusalem for the Passover. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. And they shouted, say with me, everyone, praise God. That's not a shout. Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus then found a young donkey and rode it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, but he's riding on a donkey's colt, not a steed, not a stallion. A donkey's colt, picture of humility. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing on the word of God today. Make this real to us. Make Easter real. Help us to get a taste of what Jesus experienced in that final week of passion, his passion for the human race. Prick every heart with the reality of God and bring everyone far from you near to the cross today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Let me uh, give you a little background on me as a teenager. I can remember first becoming aware of Jesus when I heard a little uh, segment of the rock opera, Jesus Christ Superstar, on Top 40 Radio. That's the only way I ever heard about Jesus because I wasn't raised in church. I was not raised. I had never heard the gospel. And so it came over Top 40 Radio when I was like 15, 16 years old. Jesus Christ Superstar, the lyrics went like this. Hey, Santa, ho, Santa, Santa, Santa. Hey, Santa, ho, Santa. Hey, hey, JC, won't you smile at me? It's kind of sacrilegious. Jesus Christ, it went on, if you're divine, turn my water into wine. Prove to me that you're no fool. Walk across my swimming pool. Hey, Santa, ho, Santa. And that's all I want to read of it because it is a little bit disrespectful, but it sowed the thought of Jesus Christ into my mind. Never heard it. 
I thought, Jesus, who is Jesus? What is this talking about? And you know, those kind of words describe the mentality of the people that were gathered for Passover that week. It was a great big deal. It was like their version of Mardi Gras, but for religious purposes. It was like a circus in Jerusalem that day when Jesus rode into town. It was crowded like Mardi Gras. Hundreds of thousands of Jews jammed into the holy city, elbow to elbow, body to body. And they were there for the Passover celebration. happened once a year, and it was absolute pandemonium. It was full of electricity, full of excitement, full of anticipation. People seeing people they hadn't seen in a year since last time. Hey, how you doing? You look a little bit older. How are the kids? The salesmen were busy hawking their wares, and the wares they were hawking was lambs. You could have heard them saying, lambs for sale, lambs for sale, because that's what everybody bought to sacrifice a lamb for the Passover. No doubt about it, if it happened now in our day, they'd have been selling t-shirts that said, I survived the Passover underneath A.D. 33. Or I was there, A.D. 33, for the Passover. Now, when I look at this crowd in the Bible, this huge teeming crowd, I see that there's really three kinds of people out there. And I want to look at these three kinds of people that were in this crowd, that made up this crowd, because... Everybody in here is in one of these three categories that I see this crowd in. Now, the first, the first group I see was the curious crowd. The curious crowd. Remember, Jesus rode into town. Jesus had become the center of attention, and that's one of the reasons the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like it. Because when he rode into town, everybody was focused on him instead of all the religious ritual they were praising him, and they didn't like it. Well, who was it that was praising Jesus? Who was it that was making such a big deal about him? Why were they so excited about him? Well, they were excited about Jesus because they were curious. They had heard what he had done. They were the curious crowd. Fame of Jesus had been spreading far and wide. He had become a legend in his own time. Nobody like him had ever been before healing the sick, opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, irrefutable miracles had been performed by him. Nobody could gainsay or resist that or deny that. On top of that, sort of on his way to the Passover, Jesus had performed the greatest miracle available to man. He had raised a dead man back to life, a friend named Lazarus, who had been in the tomb for four days. He spoke into the tomb, and Lazarus came out, bound hand and foot in grave clothes. And everybody went crazy. And they ran <clears throat> into Jerusalem telling the story of it. And that's what, one of the great miracles that preceded his arrival. But Jesus was Jesus, and he's the same Jesus now he was then. And the Bible says that everywhere he went, he did only good and healed everybody who was oppressed of the devil. And so what did he do? On the way to Jerusalem, he saw two blind men decide to heal them. They ran ahead of him, ran to the crowd, began to preach and teach and tell what he had done. And so his fame and the electricity surrounding him and the curiosity surrounding him grew even stronger. 
The Bible tells us that many of the Jews tried to see Jesus that day, not for his sake only, but John says, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And that's the power of a testimony. People not only want to see the Lord you're talking about, they want to see what you say you saw. They want to see what he did in your life. See, when you have been resurrected, you've got a testimony. And people want to see not only the one you're talking about, but they want to meet you. They want to get to know you. They want you to tell them what he did, the way he resurrected you from the dead. Your testimony is, I once was blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I'm found. He has come into my life and changed my life, not by rehabilitation, not by a New Year's resolution, but by transformation. He has changed my life. And so you have been resurrected. You know, I was talking to a lady this morning, leaving the first service. She came up and met me. She was a visitor. She came for the first time. And so I asked her what I always ask. Well, how'd you hear about us? And she said, well, I work uh, as a waitress at a restaurant in Burleson, and your people kept coming in. And I said, really, what did they say? They said, you've got to come to Turning Point Church. Well, why? Because Jesus is there. And she said they kept coming in. And she said, I had three that were particularly bad. (laughs) See, I've told you, you're contagious. And I said, what did they say to you? And, and she said, well, they just talked about Jesus, and they talked about the church, and said that I just, finally, I could not stand it. I want to be able to say to them, okay, I went. And she said, I joined today. What did it? The, the, the testimony of a resurrection. See, you have been raised from the spiritual dead. You've got a testimony. And they, they said, we want, to, we want to meet Lazarus, who he raised from the dead. But not only that, but while on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus taught like he always taught, ministered like he always ministers, shared his teaching with the people. And when he got there, the curious crowd was waiting. And what did the curious crowd want? They didn't want him. They wanted him to perform for them. They were curious about his ability to perform miracles. He had become for them what Jesus is for some people today, the circus ringmaster, ringling brothers Barnum and Bailey, the miracle worker, the one who pulls rabbits out of hats, the ones who does supernatural things. To this group, Jesus was a novelty, a source of curiosity. He was their own version of David Copperfield. Come on, Jesus, show us a sign. Hey, hey, JC, what are you going to do for me? That's what Jesus was to the curious crowd. He was nothing more than the center ring in the big top. That's what Jesus was, the miracle worker. If you're divine, Jesus, come on, turn my water into wine. Hey, hey, JC, do something for me. The curious crowd had a high anticipation of seeing a miracle done by Jesus. Even Herod had said, it said Herod was curious about meeting him that he might see him do a miracle, that he might see him perform a miracle. And if you notice that there's people like that everywhere today, they'll run off to the nearest miracle service and they'll wait to see Jesus pull a rabbit out of a hat, somebody get healed, some miracle happen, something to give them goosebumps, something to give them thrills and spills and excitement. But then the rest of the week, they don't really walk with Jesus at all. They are miracle seekers, sign seekers, thrill seekers. But they're not Jesus seekers. 
They want to see the sign, but not the sign giver. They want to see the miracle, but not the miracle worker. They want to see him do something, but they don't want him meddling in their life. They are the curious crowd. Come on, they'll run to a church. You can, you can let a, some great miracle happen here today. And you know the next week, we wouldn't have room enough to receive them, not so much as about the door. Why? Because they want to see if it's going to happen again. But once the miracles ebb and it's just down to the Word and walking with Jesus, they fade to black. They go away. They're the curious crowd. They have been, they have been moved, but not changed. They have been touched, but not committed. The curious crowd. Jesus already had a Word for them. This curious crowd wanting him to perform a sign. Herod wanting him to perform a sign. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 39 to 40, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. The only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, and then I will rise from the dead. And the only sign they're going to get is I'm going to be like Jonah. I'm going to rise from the dead. I'm going to come back to life. And that's the only sign they're going to get because I don't have the power of God to perform for you. I came to tell you how to live. I want you to want me, not what I can do. But there was another group out there, and I see them so clearly. They were there. They were everywhere in that crowd. Not just the curious, but there were the angry. And when I read about them, I am really reminded about our day. We're living in a nation and in a world that is so filled with hatred and anger, it's almost breathtaking. We're living in a world where there is no peace. There's not much love. There's not much hope. There's sure not much rest. There is unrest. There is hatred. There is anger over every little thing. Everybody's offended. Everybody's mad. Everybody wants it differently than it is. And this angry crowd that was there when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey... They didn't want a circus. They didn't want the circus ringmaster. They didn't want the miracle worker. They didn't want to see a sign. They wanted political revolution. For them, this Palm Sunday, when Jesus was there, was a huge political rally charged with a desire to overthrow the oppressive, totalitarian Roman government. They were tired of being slaves, tired of being oppressed, tired of being under the iron hand of Rome. And they believed that Jesus, the miracle worker, the one that could gather such incredible crowds and had such charisma, such magnetism, such a way with the people, that he was the one who could bring about a revolt against Rome. To really understand this Palm Sunday that surrounded Jesus, You've got to understand four major events that preceded his arrival in Jerusalem. The first one, 63 years before Jesus came on the scene, a Roman general named Pompey had conquered Israel. And when he conquered Israel, they were brought into subjection to slavery again for the first time in 300 years. They were enslaved. They couldn't believe it. They were miserable. This was not what God had called them to live in. This was not what they read in their Old Testament as being God's will for them. It just wasn't. Their subjection to the Roman government was miserable for a lot of reasons. The Romans made them eat pork, 
which a Jew would never do. And the Romans were forcing them to worship Caesar, a revolting idea to the Jew. Oh no, they were to worship Jehovah, not Caesar. The Romans were also seducing them out of their religion, and the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders, resented that. They were losing control. They were losing control over their people as they were seduced to Caesar worship and things that were not what they had been taught to believe in and worship. Behind the scenes, behind closed doors, as the leaders met, revolution began to simmer. Revolution began to be talked about. And second, at the same time, that Jesus was born. You remember when he was born, King Herod, who had built the Jewish temple, rebuilt the Jewish temple, did a great job with it. Herod's temple, it was beautiful, spectacular, breathtaking. But Herod the builder became Herod the killer when three wise men came from the east and said, we're looking for the one who the Bible says would be born. He is the Messiah, and we want to go worship him. And Herod lied and said, tell me where he is so that I can go worship him too. You know that Christmas story. That's a Bible story. That's what really happened in history. And when he realized that the wise men had lied to him and mocked him, the Bible says that he released an edict. And the edict was that every male child, two years old and younger, in all of Jerusalem and the surrounding cities should be slaughtered, should be killed, because he did not want any child growing up and threatening his position so in a moment of demonic insanity, he released the murder of these children. Can you imagine being the Jewish parents, having a little two-year-old or under boy, the love of your life, the darling of your heart, and Romans, Roman guards come knocking on your door one day and say, we want the child, give us the child. They burst in, grabbed the child, took it out, and with a sword, the little boy was killed murdered slaughtered and it says in the bible rachel was heard weeping rachel symbolic of all the women of israel re weeping for her children because they were not do you think that they just blinked at that and went on no 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 the jewish hatred for the roman government and for herod after that began to boil began to seethe underneath this was all there when jesus entered jerusalem riding on a donkey the resentment was at a high level, maximum strength, hatred. Third, about 12 years later when Jesus was just a boy, meeting in the temple, you remember that? Asking doctors questions that blew their mind because he was so brilliant. What a lot of people don't realize is Jesus was the most brilliant intellect to ever walk planet earth. Jesus created IQ. Jesus created brains. Jesus created the ability to use logic and think. He, by Him, all things were made. Everything that was made was made through Him. And so you, you, you could never defeat Jesus in an intellectual debate. He was blowing the minds of the doctors, but while this was happening, the Bible says that there was a man named Zadok, Z-A-D-U-K, who led a revolution in Jerusalem, and 2,000 of his followers were killed. But that's the way they were killed. The Roman government came down on them in ferocity. And the Roman government took these 2,000 men and crucified them in a long line for miles. Imagine going from I-30, getting on I-30 and 35, and heading to Dallas, about a 30-minute drive, about a 30-mile journey, and... All the way from Fort Worth to Dallas, there were men on either side, crucified, who you knew, who you loved, who were leading a revolt against Rome. And this is the way that Rome took care of them. Didn't just kill them, didn't just put them down, but put them up on the worst instrument of torture known 
to ancient man. And the Roman government was saying to the Jewish people, this is what happens to political revolutionaries. If you come against us, you cannot do it. And the hatred grew. And finally, on this first Passover, when Jesus came riding into town, there had already been, in the former five years, 32 major riots against Rome. Six per year. Major riots. This was the unrest that was boiling underneath, boiling under the surface. And they were hoping Jesus to be the one to lead them in liberation from Rome. One commentator said they wanted a warrior on a war horse, and instead they got a carpenter on a donkey. So there was the curious crowd, and there was an angry crowd. One of the crowds saying, come on, use your power to entertain us. The other one saying, use your power to liberate us. But they misunderstood Jesus' mission. They misunderstood what he was there for. They didn't understand why he had the power, why he had come, why he had done what he, and why he was headed to the cross. They didn't understand. They didn't get it. They misinterpreted Jesus, and a lot of people do today. Well, he's just one of many ways. Oh, he was just a good teacher. Oh, he was just a good preacher. Oh, he was just taught us how to love people. No, he was none of those. He was the very begotten Son of the living God who was born of a virgin, God wrapped in skin. He lived among us. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead for our justification. He is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God, ever living to make intercession for us. He was the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord of glory, the Christ, the Messiah. He was God's Son. So the angry crowd And the curious crowd had him all wrong. And they missed it. Both groups chanted, Hosanna to the Son of David. But you know what? In just a few days, both those groups would turn on him and both would help crucify him to a cross. Isn't it strange, people? And the way they can be with you one day and gone the next. Isn't it strange? Now then there was a third crowd, or a third group in the crowd, And I want to focus on them. These were the genuine seekers. The ones who really meant business. Curious crowd, ah, they're there and gone. Angry crowd, didn't get satisfied. But there was genuine seekers. The Bible says a handful of Gentiles who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration paid a visit to one of Jesus' followers. And they said something that just touches my heart today. Touches me in a way that I I fully get what they were saying. They said to, to Jesus' disciples, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. We don't want Him to perform a sign for us. We don't want Him to lead a revolt. We want to meet Jesus the man. We want to get to know Jesus. They didn't want to know him for what he could do. They wanted to know him for who he was. They weren't looking for David Copperfield. They were looking for the son of David. They were after the real thing, the real McCoy. Somehow these men had caught a glimpse of the real Jesus. And I want to tell you something, folks. When you see the real Jesus, not the Jesus that's presented by people sometimes, that is really not the real Jesus at all, but the Jesus that pulls and tugs on the strings of your heart, the real Jesus who loves you with an everlasting love, the real Jesus, can I say it today, whose yoke is easy and his burden is light. 
He's not heavy. He doesn't lay a burden on you that you can't handle. That's what sin does to you. That's what Satan does to you. That's what your own ways will do to you. Jesus does not lay a burden on you that you cannot carry. He said, listen, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am meek and lowly of heart and you shall find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can I say it again? My religion is heavy, but not Jesus. Some churches will put a heavy burden on you, but not Jesus. The more you get to know Jesus, the lighter your step, the broader the grin on your face, the greater the twinkle in your eye, because his burden is light and his yoke is easy. He didn't come to make life harder for you. He came to make it easier. He didn't come to bind you down. He came to turn you loose. He didn't come to take away the fun. He came to give you real joy. Come on, church. Let's talk about the real Jesus. The real Jesus is the lover of your soul. The real Jesus loves you more than you can ever know. The real Jesus. They had somehow watched him and heard him and heard about him and seen what he had done. And they said, hey, we want to meet Jesus. Oh, I wish I could get America to meet Jesus. I wish that I could say to America, you don't need a new government. You don't need... Listen, that would help, but... That's not the final all, end all, answer all. No, what we need is to meet Jesus. I want to say to every Coke snorter, every pot smoker, every alcohol drinker, you don't, listen, you're looking for Jesus and you just don't know it. Oh, I know what I'm talking about. I do know what I'm talking about. You're looking for spiritual transcendence. You, you are looking for what really comes to you by way of the Holy Spirit being poured out in your heart by the love of God. You're looking for what Jesus gives you when you come to this cross right here and you say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I know what I'm talking about because I did it when I was 16 years old. I was lost, so lost, so tragically, totally, consummately lost. I wasn't raised in church, knew nothing about God. Never heard the gospel, never heard John 3.16, never heard anything. I was smoking it, I was popping it, I was drinking it, I was never snorting it. But if you'd have given me a chance, I would have. What was I looking for? I was looking for what only He can give. And it got me in trouble. I was on a search. I was seeking, not knowing it. See, that's what so many people are doing. They're searching and they don't know what for. They'll tell you, I'm looking for something. I don't know what it is. Can I tell you? It's because you used to know God. Your descendants knew God. You were wired to know God. You were hardwired to walk with God. As Augustine said, you're never going to rest until you rest in Him. I promise you. And so I went to drugs, went to alcohol, went to anything that I could find looking for spiritual. I knew that something was missing, and it was the fourth dimension of life, the spiritual dimension. And it got me in trouble, as it always does. Got arrested, got thrown in juvenile home. Sitting in juvenile home, I was without God and had no hope in this world. They had told me, I'm going to see to it. My probation officer said, I'm going to see to it that you go to prison. I was 16, and they had me right there. My dad had said to me, I'm not going to get you out. I've been in trouble since I was a teenager. I'm just telling you the truth. 
I'm going to give God the glory. I'm sitting in there thinking, I'm going to go in front of a judge that knows some things I did, and, I, and I'm in trouble for that. And then one night, knock, knock, knock on the door, comes a guard. Hey, Wickwire, you want to come hear somebody talk to you about Christianity? I didn't even know what it was. I, 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 I thought, well, it's not Christmas, it's summer out there. But I would have gone to hear Howdy Doody to get out of the cell. Right? So I did. I said, sure. So they herded about 50 of us guys in there. I'll never forget, I had on an olive green t-shirt, bell-bottom blue jeans, tennis shoes, long hair, scared to death. I've got the mug shot. Scared to death. I always ask myself a question. Why do you keep doing what you're doing. I didn't understand that sin gets a grip on you, that the devil gets a grip on you, that, that, that you're under the power, a power that is spiritual and has a grip on you. And so I sit down and a couple of teenagers got up and played guitars and sang a couple of songs that I thought were horrible, terrible, awful. I said, can you play Jesus Christ Superstar? <laughs> if you're going to be here, at least sing that. But then this man stood up, suit, yep, Clark Kent glasses, slick back. I thought, oh, no. Was he a good speaker? No. Was he a good preacher? No. But he quoted John 3.16. Now, dogs are smarter than some people. Because you can give a dog a bone you bought at the store and let him chew away on it, but then you can come out with a T-bone steak and toss it. He'll let that thing go to grab the steak. And I had T-bone of marijuana, or not T-bone, the bone of marijuana, bone of LSD, bone of speed. But then all of a sudden somebody tossed a medium well T-bone right in front of me. said, God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And, and He kept looking right at me. I looked right back at Him as if to say, quit looking right at me. Because it was like He was looking right at me. He quit looking at everybody else. Look, I thought, is there something wrong with me? And see, it was just God convicting me because all of a sudden it occurred to me, I'm going in front of a judge who knows only a little bit of what I've done. But if he's right, I'm going to go before a judge who knows everything that I have done. But it was more than that. Something said to me, he's telling you the truth. And something rose up in me, and here's what it was. Sir, I want to meet Jesus. I want to meet him. Something He gave an invitation. Nobody moved. Everybody was thinking, I'm not getting up especially first, because they'll make fun of me, mock me, ridicule me, maybe beat me up. I'll, I'll be the brunt of all the jokes. Not going to do it. But when they, they started loading up their guitar and walking out, something stood me up. And before I know it, I'm right behind him. And I got out this much, sir. And I started to weep. I hadn't cried in years. I was one of the hardest-hearted kids you would ever want to meet. Suddenly something was dealing with me and I didn't know what it was. Is this too heavy for y'all? I'm telling you what happened to me. See, I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. I didn't know what the Word did to people. And so I'm right behind him and he took me into another room. He said, do you want to pray? I had never prayed in my life. And I remember looking up and saying, Jesus, I don't even know who you are. But I do believe what I've heard.
come into my heart. And all of a sudden, this pale lime green wall started to glitter. And I felt light on my feet. And I felt like, hey, everything's going to be okay. I didn't understand that right at that moment, God breathed his life into me, breathed his spirit into me. Right then. Now, if you want to know somebody that wasn't religious, didn't know local church, had never been in local church, if you want to hear from somebody, you're hearing them right now. I was not raised religious. I was raised pagan. I was raised intellectual. I was raised, I was raised in total secularism. But something punched me right between, grabbed hold of my heart. It was the same longing. And do you know that it's never left me? I still want to know him more. I still want to know him better. I still want to walk with him closer. I I know that one day I'm going to see his face and I'm going to become just like him. And that's good enough for me. I'm glad he's altogether to be desired. These guys said, we want to meet Jesus I wish I could introduce America to Jesus. I wish I could let him know he's not going to take away your fun. He's not going to take away your life. He's only going to remove what is killing you anyway. He's only going to give you what is going to bless you. He is not going to ruin the party. He is not going to, he's not going to turn you into one of those. No, no. He's going to give you your full individuality. He's going to maximize your potential. He's going to show you what you're designed to do and to be. He is going to maximize you. He's going to make you what you would never have been apart from Him. I'm telling you, He only doeth wondrous things. The curious crowd and the angry crowd were very disappointed, but not the ones who said, Sir, we want to meet Jesus. If our country could meet Jesus, police stations would close. Courts would go out of business. Judges would have to find something else to do. Marriages would stay together. The drug traffickers would lose it all. It'd be a very different country if America knew Jesus. But you know what? We start right here. Like that little lady at the restaurant. Just hearing about Jesus. I had to come see what it was about. Now I'm here. Jesus is contagious. Next week we're going to preach Jesus every which way but loose. We're going to see people get saved. We're going to see people get resurrected. Because it's not a rehabilitation. And it's not a New Year's resolution. It is transformation. Can we stand together? And please, as little movement as possible, don't head out the back door. Nobody is going to get out in front of you or block your way. And if they do, you're just going to wave and smile at them. But right now, maybe you're part of that curious crowd. There will sure be a lot of them here next week. Maybe you're angry. I was. I was very angry. God took it out. Maybe you just have never been to the foot of this cross, the cross, and said, Jesus, I want to meet you. I want to meet you. Can we bow for a moment of prayer?
You know, I prayed last night and I prayed this week that God would touch people today. And I've been there where some of you are, not knowing what to do, which way to turn, how you're ever going to get out of the mess that you maybe you've gotten yourself into. Can I tell you, it all begins with getting right with God through Jesus Christ. So with our heads bowed, if you can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I, I used to walk with him, but I have drifted. Just step by step, very, very slowly, but surely I've drifted. Can I invite you to meet Jesus again, to come to him and say, Lord, I'm inviting you into my life in total commitment. On this Palm Sunday, I want to make it right. I want your peace. I want your joy. I want to know that I'm back where I ought to be. And maybe you've never come to him and said, Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart. You know that he'll do it immediately, just like he did with me in juvenile home. He'll do it immediately. And you'll notice a difference instantly. He will come into your heart when you ask him to. Businessman, businesswoman, Housewife, mother, dad, student, God will hear you and he will transform your life from the inside out. So if you can say, Pastor Jeff, I'm in one of those two categories. Would you give me the honor of praying with you today? And what about Palm Sunday being a day that you can always look back on and say, that's the day that I got right, that he came into my life and transformation began. If you can say, Pastor, I'm one of those two, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up in the air where I can see you and pray with you. In Jesus' name, put it up high. I see you and you everywhere, many of you. I want to ask you to do something. I want you to slip out from where you are quickly. Start walking right now and come right down here. I want to meet you and we're going to pray. And when we pray, Something is going to happen in your life. The miracle worker, the heart changer, the life changer is going to begin his incredible work. Don't worry about what people think. I got up that night in front of, I was the only one that came forward that night. But it didn't matter. Because look what he's done with my life. Because of that incredible night in my life. So I want you to come now. We're going to sing a stanza. Come quickly. If there's a nudge on your heart, you don't have to wonder what that is. You need to come and pray and get it right. Come now. Come quickly. And we're going to wait for you.